guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing pretty good. It's a good, good. week. It's another yeah. week. It's a Friday. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. We're recording a little late, so it is Friday, which just blows my mind. This week like flew by. I don't even know what's happening anymore. It's almost October. The year's almost over. It's almost the new year. Happy 2020. <laughs> That accelerated much faster than I anticipated. That was quite a ride you just took me on. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to jump right into the story this week. We have, there's a lot of information on this case, so this may be a little bit longer of an episode, so we are not going to waste any time getting started on it. The crime actually took place in a really, really small town in Georgia, but another main main location that is in this story is Tallahassee, Florida. So Melissa, I know you were probably just overjoyed that you got to Google Tallahassee for us. And I'm really excited to hear what you have come up with. No pressure. To be fair, I have Googled Tallahassee before. So it was, you might be learning some of the same facts. Hopefully not. But I think if I, if so, I'm telling it in a different way, I'm sure. So First of all, Tallahassee is the capital of Florida and has a population of just over 190,000 residents as of the 2017 census. Tallahassee is actually located about two hours south of Tifton, Georgia, where this week's episode primarily takes place, and it's just below the Florida-Georgia line, not the band. I can't emphasize enough how much I hate that that band, Florida-Georgia line, is something we've talked about my entire life, and now those people have ruined the entire (laughs) area for me. You don't like them? I don't like them at all. I think they are tryhards. I'm so sorry because they're very popular. So this is not going to work out well for me. I just, I don't like them. I don't need them. I mean, they're wonderful. I'm sure they're good people. Oh God, please let me get out of there. Let me get out of this. Let me get out of this. Okay, let's move on. Tallahassee was awarded with the Best in America for Parks and Recreation in 2006, a prize that I'm sure Leslie Nope would even be behind. The Tallahassee Police Department is actually the third oldest police department in the nation, and the first two were actually Philadelphia and Boston. I found that super interesting because Tallahassee, really? Philadelphia, Boston? Like, what was New York busy doing? I don't understand (laughs) how Tallahassee got it together so quickly. That just does not seem on par for the town. Legend has it that the first Christmas in the United States was celebrated at the site of the DeSoto Encampment, which is an area now known as Tallahassee. While they will actually deny this fact, the rock band Creed was formed in Tallahassee in the late 90s. I cannot figure out to this day why Creed always wants to say they're from Orlando when everyone knows that they're actually from Tallahassee. And we don't even want to claim them, but that's just history. We can't help it. They played in Tallahassee all the time. They will deny it, and now we should also in turn deny it. But here I am, bringing it back up. Let me keep going. The singer-songwriter and the Masked Singer winner, T-Pain, hails from Tallahassee. Mandy, have you seen The Masked Singer, the TV show? No. uh, Somebody in our Facebook group said something about it recently, and it sounds like a really interesting concept. So I've been meaning to check it out, but you know how that goes for me with TV. Even if it sounds interesting, I put it on the back burner. I had never seen it before. I didn't see last year, but my daughter was interested in it. So we watched it this week. And it's pretty interesting. It's very... It's a lot. It's very cheesy. And it's just like a couple people going, oh, my gosh, I don't know who that is a thousand times. So I just can't (laughs) even imagine how how much at home they're just in the mirror saying that like 50 different ways. (laughs) So that was like grating on my nerves. But anyway, T-Pain actually won that 
last year, which was a big deal because no one really thinks of him as the singer, but he's actually got a really great voice. So the T in T-Pain actually stands for Tallahassee. And please let us have this since Creed rejects us. We at least really want to hold on to T-Pain. Please let us have this. And and lastly, a lesser known but incredibly important figure from history hails from Tallahassee. She stands high above the rest. She loves Parks and Rec and even the band The Police. Christmas is her favorite holiday, and her creed is to never be a T-Pain to others. Any idea who that is, Mandy? Hmm. (laughs) Nobody comes to mind. (laughs) Do you know how hard it was to put all those together? And they make no sense whatsoever. But I really, (laughs) I was like, at least the T-Pain might make sense at the end. Okay, that's all I've got. Oh, my gosh. Let's move on. This story is crazy. Let's get right into it. All right. In an idyllic little town called Tifton, Georgia, which is about an hour north of the Florida State line, as Melissa said in Google This City, lived the prosperous and relatively newly formed Evans family. Roy Herman Evans was a typical Southern gentleman in his 40s and had really already been through some of life's major events, such as settling down and starting a family. He sometimes came across as a tough guy, but on the inside, he was very kind and caring. But still, this did not stop his first marriage from coming to an end, leaving him alone and looking for love for the second time. And that's when he met and fell in love with a woman named Ruby. Ruby was in a similar situation, and she had an adult son from a previous relationship. Herman quickly fell in love with Ruby, and the two were married. As a wedding gift to his new bride, Herman purchased a flower shop in Tifton, which he actually gave to Ruby to manage. What? How yeah. are we giving people stores when you get married? Getting married is expensive already. How 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 do you know she likes a flower store? I, I always know. thought the gift that you give to each other was yourselves when you get married. Well, I don't. Know. I think apparently they thought you could do better. <laughs> We're going to one up each other. Yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. But I've heard of that in other things too. Oh, you know what I'm thinking? Push presents for yeah. having babies that yeah. you deserve. That you deserve. I never got for one, sure. but I deserved it. Yeah, I did one time, not the second time. Oh, dang. So you didn't do that good the first time, so you didn't get one the second time. (laughs) (laughs) So this flower shop was truly a family affair with the whole Evans family coming in and helping out wherever they could. But it was really Ruby that was the star of the show, and she kind of ran the whole thing. She just had this natural knack for putting together these beautiful floral arrangements, and the customers really flocked to her for her charming personality. The business blossomed and became extremely well-known around town. So if you, it was one of those situations where if you needed to get flowers and you needed professional ones, you went and got them from Ruby's Flower Shop. It was very well-known. Um, everybody knew of Ruby, and they just knew of her flower shop. Ruby's son, Theo, was also often at the flower shop helping his mom to run things. He was a hard worker that had no problem waking up and getting his day started with with a lot of enthusiasm, really. Unfortunately for Theo, his dedication and stability when it came to work really did not translate into his personal life. He had been in trouble with the law on numerous occasions dating back to 1998. He was arrested several times on charges of burglary, grand theft, and drug possession. In the summer of 98, he was found in possession of a controlled substance, and a few years later in 2001, he was picked up again and found to be in possession of LSD. Although Ruby viewed Theo as the golden child who could do no wrong in her eyes, 
He actually had a long history of struggling with addiction, and Ruby generally turned the other cheek when it came to her son's troubles. Along with his rocky relationship with drugs, Theo also had a rocky relationship with women. Ruby would always tell him not to settle for anything less than he deserved, which in her eyes was actually the world, and she would often tell him that there was no woman good enough for her perfect son. That is until Sunday Blomberg came along. Sunday was a native Floridian born in Tallahassee on January 25th, 1982. She was absolutely gorgeous with her tan skin and her huge smile, and she really turned heads everywhere she went and had this radiating energy about her that made people really want to get to know her. Sunday came from a large family and had nine siblings. Her family said that she stood out at home just as much as she did out in the world. She performed well in school and even received the merit award in high school. She was very free-spirited, much like the rest of her family from what I gathered, and she worked in a quaint little store called Crystal Connection. Melissa, I don't know if you had ever heard of it before this. I know the shop is closed now, but I didn't know if you had even heard of it or maybe been there. Me having been to a crystal shop, does any of that make sense at all? <laughs> Think of the words you're saying right now. No, I'm not familiar with it. I know the area that it was in. It's like Thomasville, near Thomasville Road off of like a main road, Monroe Street. So that's like where all the shops and stuff are in Tallahassee. And so I know the area, but no, I'd never been there. So the best way that I could describe this store is that it seems kind of like a hippie shop and they sold like all kinds of different things from books to jewelry to clothing items. They sold tarot cards, candles and stones and of course crystals. And then the store itself had a very spiritual feel about it when you went into it. It was totally green and it didn't even have, they didn't hand out paper receipts or do plastic bags or anything like that. They just kept record of all their transactions in a computer, which is pretty cool. So I really don't have anything to base this on, but I think that Sunday probably felt right at home working there. She worked there for several years. Her parents seemed like they may have been kind of new age types just based on the names that they gave their children, which I thought they were interesting. I love interesting names and different names. I I feel like you hear a lot of the same names all the time. So when I saw Sunday's siblings' names, I was like, oh, wow, these are really unique and different. There was Rain was one of her brothers who was named after their dad. There was Chad. Free, Solaris, Christine, Sunshine, Summer, Promise, and Serenity. So Sunday and her siblings really did not grow up in the lap of luxury. Her father, Rain, was a cabinet maker, and her mother stayed home raising all of the children, seven of which she had by the time she was 26 years old. I could feel my ovaries just shrivel up whenever you read that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so much. The family was really all about closeness and being there for each other, but unfortunately, by the time Sunday was a young adult, she had some secrets of her own. Just like Ruby's son, Theo, Sunday also struggled with drug addiction. At some point, she had moved to Lake Jackson, Texas for a period of time, and while living there, she was arrested twice. The first time was in 2006, and she was arrested on drug-related charges, and the second time was in 2009, when she was caught driving while intoxicated. She also had other charges for driving with suspended plates and failure to appear in 2008. So Sunday returned back from Texas to Tallahassee, and it was shortly thereafter that she met Theo. They were absolutely crazy about one another, and Theo's mom, Ruby, even approved of their budding romance. A few years later, the happy couple decided to tie the knot, and not long after that, they welcomed a baby girl who they named Isabella. The entire family was overjoyed, but no one more than Grandma Ruby. Ruby and Herman absolutely doted on and adored their granddaughter and spoiled the child every chance they got, which was actually pretty often since they were lucky enough just to live 
right down the street from Theo and Sunday. While some might cringe at the idea of living so close to their in-laws, in this case, everyone was really thrilled with the arrangement, and Sunday loved that her daughter could grow up with such a close relationship with her grandparents. I have like a similar situation where I live very close to my in-laws, and I love that same reason for my kids. I love that they get to be close to you know my, my in-laws. They're wonderful grandparents, so it works out really well for us. So I totally get this situation where it would be really good for everybody. Isabella would often be found at Ruby's Flower Shop learning the ropes and hanging out. Life seemed to be really perfect for this close-knit family, but there were troubles on the horizon. As it would turn out, Sunday and Theo had still been abusing drugs, and they still really liked to party. This was evidently a known fact to Ruby and Herman Evans, who chose to turn the other cheek to keep the family intact and to really keep this relationship with their grandchild. But that wasn't the only major issue plaguing this family. In the early spring of 2010, which was about seven years into their marriage, Theo began to exhibit some really suspicious behavior that started to crack the trust in his relationship with Sunday. He began to take off for days at a time without offering up any explanation for where he was or where he had been, and his phone was always ringing off the hook, and he was very secretive about who was calling him. Sunday then expresses these concerns to her mother-in-law, Ruby, and the two of them both agreed that more than likely Theo was carrying on an affair. Eventually, it was almost like he wasn't even trying to hide it anymore, and Sunday got sick of really living this lie, and she wanted to prove that her husband was being unfaithful once and for all. So the next time he left on one of his mysterious trips, Sunday followed him. What she ended up finding out was both shocking and really heartbreaking, Sunday followed Theo all the way to Florida, where he did, in fact, meet with another woman. But it wasn't just any other woman. It was actually Sunday's own best friend named Danielle. And there is so much to get into with this story, and we will get right back into it after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. I have to tell you guys about an amazing new service I've found called FrameBridge. They make it super easy and affordable to frame your favorite things, from art prints and posters to the travel photos sitting on your phone. Here's how it works. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical pieces. You can preview your item online in any frame style. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers. The expert team at Framebridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Instead of the hundreds you'd pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, our listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use our code MOMS. When you think of having something framed, the first thing that comes to mind is probably a special photo or document like a diploma. But did you know that you can frame almost anything with Framebridge? Browsing their website has given me more ideas for framing than I even have wall space for at my house. From things like old passports and airline boarding passes from a special trip to sentimental pieces of jewelry and even old cassette tapes. I have a box full of mementos that belong to my dad just sitting in my closet and having a couple of pieces framed through Framebridge would be a great way to keep those items safe forever. Get started today. Frame your photos or send the perfect gift for weddings, birthdays, and special events. Go to framebridge.com and use promo code MOMS and you'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com promo code MOMS. Framebridge.com, promo code MOMS. As a woman, I can't think of anything more uncomfortable than wearing a bra that does not fit right. And as a mom, it happens a lot since I don't have the time nor the desire to try on several bras while my two boys point and laugh at the rest of the undergarments in the store. That's why I am obsessed with the concept behind Third Love. 
Third Love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their FitFinder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and a premium feel. And with over 80 sizes available, you're sure to get a bra that fits your body perfectly. Join over 14 million women who have already taken the FitFinder quiz to date, including Mandy and I. It takes about 60 seconds and it's super easy and helps identify your breast shape and size and also find styles that fit your body. Each bra is lightweight and has super thin memory foam cups that mold to your shape, making it the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. Third Love also gives you 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test in real life. If you don't love it, which you will, you can return it and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering our listeners 15% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash murder now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash murder for 15% off today. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about how Sunday Blomberg had just confirmed that her husband, Theo, was having an affair with her own best friend. Upon seeing the two of them together, Sunday immediately jumped into action and confronted them, and she demanded that they end this fling immediately. According to Danielle, she had tried to avoid getting romantically involved with Theo, but he would not stop pursuing her and had been at it for quite some time, and he would go visit her at work or bring her flowers, I assume, from his mom's flower shop. So eventually, she says that she just gave in, and engaged in a relationship with him. Theo was really not happy at all about this ultimatum that Sunday was giving him and ended up deciding to leave Sunday and Isabella to move in with Danielle in Tallahassee, which, oh my gosh, that is just so, there's just a lot going on there for Sunday, you know, having this be her best friend. And now her husband is like, no, actually, I'm going to go move in. And I just can't imagine, like, that's really upsetting all around. Oh, yeah, for sure. Who do you talk to about this, your best friend? Well, there's half the problem. Right. Sunday was really distraught, and she had no idea what to do. And she contemplated moving back to Tallahassee herself to be closer to her own family. But, of course, this idea did not sit well with Ruby, who really was not even close to being willing to let her granddaughter go. It's worth noting at this point that Ruby seemed to have somewhat of an unhealthy love for this little girl, and it was almost as though she forgot that she was the grandma and not the mom. In a desperate attempt to keep Isabella close by, Ruby and Herman asked Sunday if she would like to move in with them, where they would be able to help her financially as well as be there to help with Isabella. So now we have this very awkward and contentious situation where Sunday and her daughter are living with her in-laws while their son is off in Florida with Sunday's best friend. So obviously there's a lot that could go wrong in this situation. The living arrangement was working out well enough for a while, but all it would really take is one gust of wind to blow that whole entire straw house down. And not long after Sunday and her daughter moved in, Ruby began to have some concerns about her own husband. And after doing a little digging, she learned that Herman had also been having extramarital relationships. He had actually been paying for sex all up and down the Gulf Coast, and she found photographic evidence of this on his phone to really prove it. So the situation under the Evans roof was rapidly deteriorating after all of this started to come to light and these families' darkest secrets even began to pile on top of each other. 
I don't think anyone really wants to live under the same roof as their in-laws in the best of times, let alone when there is so much else going on at the same time. And the stress had really gotten to Sunday, who had kind of reverted back to her old coping mechanisms, which were to rely on drugs to get her through. Ruby and Herman struggled to maintain their civility with each other, but ultimately decided to stay together because neither one of them wanted to lose their granddaughter. But it was not easy. Things were incredibly tense, and eventually Herman and Sunday even started having little arguments here and there, mostly about her drug use and the way that she chose to spend her days. With all the bickering going on between the three of them, Ruby feared that Sunday would decide to just up and leave and take Isabella with her back to Tallahassee. This fear caused even more fights between she and Herman. By this time, it's April of 2010, and Herman's birthday is fast approaching. Ruby thought that planning a nice birthday party and inviting everyone, including Theo and Sunday, would be a great way for the family to set aside their problems and come together with the hopes that everyone would rekindle their relationships with each other. That's a lot of relationships that are going to have to be mended at a birthday party with your granddaughter there. What? Yeah, yeah. It does not sound like a good idea. This feels like separate conversations that need to happen with other people, you know, not with an audience and not at a birthday. So little did Ruby know, but Sunday actually was fed up with the situation, and she was planning on moving back to Tallahassee on the exact same day that Herman's birthday party was supposed to be happening, which was April 22nd. Sunday had already spoken with her family, and she made arrangements to get back home and get on her feet. She had worked out a deal with her dad so that she could buy a car for herself, and she had spoken with her sister, Sunshine, who was planning on driving to Tifton to pick her and Isabella up to take them back to Florida that day. Although Sunday had been planning to leave, it was everyone's understanding that she and Isabel would still be at Herman's birthday party, but something went terribly awry that afternoon. In the weeks leading up to this particular day, Ruby had grown very irritated with Sunday. Due largely in part to her drug use, Ruby felt that Sunday was an unfit mother who should not have custody of a child, and she opined on more than one occasion that Isabel would be better off without Sunday in her life. That's just so sad to me that as the mother-in-law, she would take that approach instead of being like, we need to get help for Sunday so that she can be the best mom she can be. Right. You know what, you know what I mean? And, and, and just saying like, oh, well, this child would be better off without her mom. Like, that's never a good solution. No. So little did Sunday know, though, but Ruby had actually grown to have strong feelings of hatred towards her. And she had begun suggesting to Herman for weeks leading up to this that he should do something to, quote unquote, get rid of Sunday. But it wasn't just a mere suggestion. She was actually pressuring Herman to murder the mother of her grandchild and even provoking him by telling him that, you know, if he really loved her and Isabella, he would definitely do it. This wasn't the first time or the first person that Ruby had approached with her murderous desires. About a month prior, Ruby had actually tried to recruit her son, Theo, to kill the mother of his child. In that instance, she had contemplated how much cocaine it would take for Sunday to die of a drug overdose, and she basically asked Theo how much he thought he would take. He told Ruby that if she gave him $60, he would go and buy enough cocaine for it to be a fatal dose. However, the plan was botched when Theo decided to actually do the cocaine with Sunday instead of using it to kill her. Ruby was angry that Theo didn't follow through with the plan, but Theo told her that he did not want any part of it, but he didn't bother to tell the police that, hey, my mother's actively trying to kill the mother of my child. So he just kind of, I don't know, I guess he just accepted what she had said, said he's not going to be a part of it, but didn't bother to say like, but also don't kill her. Like, 
and tell right. the police, like, sh- sh- my mother actively wants to kill this lady. But Ruby wouldn't let it go and continued to harass her husband about it. All the while, Sunday is still living under her roof and completely unsuspecting of the fact that her mother-in-law wants her dead and has already made an attempt to make that happen. Terrifying. Yeah. Then on April 22nd, 2010, which was Herman's birthday and the day of his party, things took a sinister turn. Herman had been out of town for work, but he returned home at around noon that day. Isabella was at school and Ruby was at the flower shop when Herman arrived at his house. According to court testimony, when Herman actually walks in, he finds Sunday on the couch injecting herself with cocaine. At this point, tensions were very high within this family and an argument began between Herman and Sunday. Things were heated and Herman decided that, you know, enough is enough. And he thought that maybe if he did what Ruby had been asking to do for weeks, things would somehow get better. The argument ended with Herman taking out his 22 caliber pistol and shooting Sunday in the back of her head while she was still sitting on the couch. Once he shot her, he dragged her body into the bedroom and left it there while he figured out what he had to do. He needed help and he decided to go to the flower shop to tell Ruby what had happened. So when he reaches the flower shop, he says to Ruby, would you be able to handle it if I were to kill Sunday? And Ruby says, yes. And so at this point, he tells her, hey, I've already killed her. And Sunday's dead in our house at this very moment. And I wish I could say that the worst part of the story was over, but there really are even more horrifying details of this crime that we are going to get into after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. We are inching closer to the holidays and not to be that person, but there are only 81 days left until Christmas. And you know what that means. Everyone and their mother will be at the post office sending out gifts and cards to their family and friends. But here's the thing. Holiday or no holiday, we are still sending out our Patreon goodies every month. And not to be dramatic, but the idea of standing in line with my kids during the holiday rush makes me literally want to poke my eyes out with a pen. Stamps.com wants to keep my eyes in their sockets. And if you run a small business like us, they are here to help you and your eyes as well. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is so easy to use, and it takes one more to do off my list. It's easy, painless, and even a money saver. Right now, our listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Moms and Murder. That's stamps.com, enter moms and murder. This past weekend, Mandy and I traveled to Alabama for our live show, so you know what that means. Road trip snacks. I had my van packed with lemon heads and chips, but halfway through my trip, I started to really feel awful. I needed energy and I needed it fast. That's when I remembered an article I read on Noom a few weeks back about foods that help boost your energy. So I sought for some fruit and carrots to continue on my way. Noom knows you're busy, and since we're all strapped for time, Noom asked that you just commit 10 minutes a day just for yourself. You never know when you'll need this information that you learned at another time. And if you're like me and on a road trip, you're going to want some junk food and that's okay. 
If you go off track, there's no shaming with Noom. They just want to give you tips to help you get back on track tomorrow. Planning meals at home is a great way to stay on track with Noom. But what happens when you're out of town, running around and have no access to your own kitchen and regular meals? Since Noom is a habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through their personalized courses, when I'm staring at a menu, I can use the knowledge I've learned and make a healthy choice, which is something I am always working on, even when I'm not in my normal element. And another thing I love is that Noom teaches me about living a healthy lifestyle, not just giving me shortcuts that may work temporarily, but in the long run, I know will not work. Noom is so easy to use and you're already on your phone. Why not add an app in between Instagram and Facebook that could actually help you reach your goals? You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com slash moms. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash moms to start your trial today. That's Noom.com slash moms, the last weight loss program you'll need. And now back to the episode. So when we left off before the break, we were at the part of the story where Herman Evans had just shot Sunday Blomberg in the back of the head while she sat on the couch in the living room. And then he then went back to the flower shop to tell Ruby that he had done what she'd been asking him to do for weeks. When Ruby found out that her husband had done this, she closed up the flower shop and the two of them went back to their house to figure out what to do and start their cover up. This next part of the story is super, super rough and hard to hear. So just bear with us and kind of this is kind of a warning. But when they arrived back at the house, they were startled to realize that Sunday was actually not dead. She was sitting up against her bed, crying out for help, of course, was very confused about what was going on. And at this point, Herman and Ruby decided that they were already really in way too deep with this situation and that they were going to finish the job instead of calling an ambulance or taking Sunday to a hospital for help. Herman first attempted to strangle her with an extension cord, but that still did not kill Sunday, who was awake and conscious through this entire ordeal. In a final attempt to senselessly end this young woman's life, Herman went out to his truck and brought back a folding knife, which he used to stab Sunday in the heart with, killing her soon after. My gosh. This poor woman was shot, strangled, and stabbed by her own father-in-law at the behest of her mother-in-law. It really just does not get any more appalling than this. These people knew that she had a daughter, you know, that loved her and that they just didn't care. They thought that the child would be better off and didn't think twice about how this was going to actually affect Isabella for the rest of her life. After Sunday was murdered, the Evans family went to Herman's mom's home for cake to celebrate his birthday as though nothing had happened that day. Also in attendance at this party was a family friend named Kenneth Tomlinson. When the party was over a couple of hours later, Herman approached Kenneth and told him that he had this very serious problem that he needs help with, and he asked his friend to pick up some peroxide and to meet him at his house where he would explain everything. Meanwhile, Ruby took Isabella over to a friend's house to have pizza and kind of stall on taking her home until after Herman had time to clean things up. When Herman and Kenneth got to the house, Herman showed him to the room where Sunday's body was laying. Kenneth was in utter shock at the site and hesitated about getting involved, but ultimately decided that Herman was going to be a danger to him as well if he did not comply with his request to help him move Sunday's body yeah. out of the house. 
The two men wrapped her in a blanket, loaded her into Herman's truck, and drove out to a remote location in the woods where they left her body out in the open before returning to the house to clean up the blood evidence. Later that evening, Ruby returned home and looked over the house again to make sure that Herman had disposed of or cleaned up all the evidence of a murder. She cleaned a blood spot off the couch, and then she and Herman went through their collection of ammunition and disposed of all the 22 caliber bullets that matched the one used to shoot Sunday. They actually placed all of these bullets in an empty potato chip bag and later threw them out the window of a moving car onto the side of the highway. They also dismantled the gun itself and disposed of it near a construction site, and the knife was also disposed of in a similar manner. Ruby and Herman decided that the couch itself needed to go, and so they burned it on their own property. Once they were satisfied with the job that they had done, they simply sat back and waited. Finally, two days later, Ruby calls the police to report that Sunday's missing and claim that nobody's seen or heard from her and that she had really just abandoned her daughter. She even offered up this possible scenario to police saying that Sunday was an unpredictable drug addict and that she may have just taken off back to her home in Tallahassee. Sunday's family, of course, really disagreed with the notion that she'd ever leave her daughter, who was the most important thing in her life, especially since she was already planning on leaving with her daughter, you know, right around the same time. Right. Police agreed that her disappearance was really suspicious and they opened an investigation. To start with, they traveled to Tallahassee to question Sunday's husband, Theo. It was thought that Theo would actually have a motive to kill Sunday, given the state of their marriage and the fact that he was already engaged in a new relationship with Sunday's best friend, Danielle. But Theo told police that not only did he not know where Sunday was, but that he had an alibi. He was home with Danielle in Florida on the day that Sunday was last seen. Keep in mind at this point, though, that Theo does not know that his mom and stepdad have murdered Sunday. But of course, common sense would tell you While the police are here and telling you that this woman is missing, your mom has tried to get you to kill this woman that you would say, P.S., let me tell you a little story of something that happened a few weeks ago. But he says nothing. Yeah. Says absolutely nothing. While in Tallahassee, police located several people from Sunday's past and inquired about her whereabouts, but nobody had really seen or heard from her in years, and these really ended up being all dead ends. Detectives returned to Georgia where they began to question neighbors that lived close to Herman and Ruby. One neighbor actually told the officers that she had seen something very strange the day that Sunday went missing, and that was that she saw that there was a couch that was being burned on the Evans property. At this point, it was time for them to conduct an official search of the Evans home. On first glance, though, nothing really seemed out of the ordinary, but after a bit of looking around, police noticed that there was blood splatter on the living room ceiling as well as in the carpet, and there were actually two sections of carpet that had been cut out. DNA testing confirmed that this was, in fact, Sunday's blood. They knew at this point that she was attacked in her own home, but they still couldn't really figure out if she was dead or if she was missing. Meanwhile, search parties were out actively searching the local areas for any sign of Sunday, and these searches went on for weeks. I told Mandy about this. I remember when this was happening because I know people that knew Sunday because Tallahassee is really just like a big town. And I remember seeing the Facebook group. They they started one in May of 2006 and they had over 4,600 people in this group. But I remember seeing friends posting about their missing friend Sunday. So with this Facebook group, they were actually able to crowdfund enough money to actually have an award for any information that led to finding Sunday. But then the police got the lead that they were looking for. K2 
Kenneth Tomlinson had finally come forward to confess what he knew, and he also offered to take the detective straight to the spot where Sunday's body had been dropped off over a month prior. But he did not implicate anyone in this murder. He simply said, hey, I know where Sunday's body is. I'll bring you to it. That's all I'm giving you. At some point in mid-May, Theo visited his parents and his daughter. While eating lunch, Ruby casually tells Theo that, yeah, they had murdered Sunday, and she wanted him to go to the flower shop to retrieve her gun as well as a few pieces of sentimental jewelry. Theo pleads with his mom to go to the police, but she refuses, saying, you know, I can't turn Herman in because the only reason he killed Sunday is because I wanted him to kill Sunday. Theo did go to the flower shop and retrieve these items, but as soon as he got back to Tallahassee, he called the police in Tifton to report what Ruby had told him. On May 27, 2010, Sunday's remains were located. Her body was so badly decomposed that it required surgical records to confirm her identity. An autopsy was performed to determine exactly how she died, and the medical examiner noted that the gunshot wound to the back of the head was a fatal wound, but that it didn't kill her right away. The bullet itself was so badly damaged that it wasn't even suitable for ballistics testing, so they really couldn't even, they didn't, they wouldn't have even been able to, like, match it to anything because they they couldn't run those types of tests on it. It was clear that Sunday had been murdered in cold blood, but police needed to confirm exactly who it was that had pulled the trigger. They turned to Kenneth Tomlinson for those answers. After offering him a deal in which he would get a reduced sentence for his role in the crime, he identified Herman as the person who had killed her. Three people were initially arrested in connection to this case. They were Ruby, Herman, and Kenneth, and they were all brought in on murder charges. A short while later, Theo was also picked up in Tallahassee on charges related to Sunday's death, basically that he did not go to the police with what he knew and tried to prevent this from happening. As it turned out, he actually had traded his mom's pistol for drugs, so the police had to go and track that down too, but they were able to find it. Ruby was questioned for several hours, and during her confession, she admitted to being the one who had persuaded Harmon to murder their daughter-in-law. She told police that she feared a life without her granddaughter in it and that the idea of losing her is what motivated this murder. You know when you can lose your granddaughter when you're serving life in prison? That's a good time to not yeah. be able to have a relationship with her. Yeah, exactly. So Ruby went on trial and was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and she was sentenced to life in prison. She fought her conviction and said that her mere approval of her husband's actions did not make her actually guilty of a crime, but prosecutors obviously strongly disagreed with that and said that anyone who knowingly participates in a murder in any way is guilty of a crime. Herman took the route of pleading guilty, and he was sentenced to life in prison, and Kenneth Tomlinson pled guilty for his part in the crime, which was concealing a death, and he received a probated sentence. I don't think he is still in prison or is still in jail anymore. Theo was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder and was initially jailed in Florida, but was later moved to the Tift County Jail in Georgia. And then there was like a little update that I found on this story that was super, super sad. But two years after Sunday's death, uh, like six members of her family went out to the site where her body had been recovered and 
their guy who owned this property was an attorney. He got really upset that this family was out there on his property, called the police. The police came out and they were like trying to explain to him what they these people were doing there, saying like, oh, these people lost their, you know, their sister, their daughter. And this was where, you know, she was found. And so tried to kind of clear things up. This guy demanded that all six members of Sunday's family be arrested for trespassing. And so they were. And they spent like a few hours in a holding cell. He like this guy just didn't even care, had no no yeah. soft spot for them whatsoever, like told the police he wanted them to be arrested. It's really sad. So that was the story of Sunday Blomberg and what happened to her. Really, really tough and sad story. There was just so much going on. But I, I – it's just – by your own in-laws, that's – I know. That's scary. It's terrifying. I know. Yeah. So before we go, a couple quick announcements. We have our pa- our new Patreon episode will be up by the time you hear this on patreon.com slash moms of murder podcast. And – You'll really want to check that out. We're doing, Mandy, what are we doing this month? We had to change it. We've had some computer issues and lost some things. So, Mandy, what are we doing this month? We are talking about conspiracy theories. Some good ones. Not the two crazy ones. You know which ones I will not talk about. So, yeah, and you yeah. won't either. So we'll we'll do more of the fun stuff. I don't know which ones you're doing yet. So I will we'll be interested and I look forward to rolling my eyes and maybe people audibly hearing my eyes roll. (laughs) I think that's going to be possible. Yeah. I have picked a few that I think are not quite as popular, but they're not like too far out there that you can't handle (laughs) Thank you for thinking of me in my time of need. So that's patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast if you want to check that out. And also, if you guys want to check out the live show that we just did in Alabama, you can listen to that. Uh, The girls at Corpus Delicti, who we did the live show with, have posted it on their feed. So if you want to go over to their podcast and check it out, you can absolutely do that. We had so much fun doing that. I thought it was so much more fun than I thought originally it was going to be. And I think it went really well. And yeah, yeah, I went from being terrified to only being terrified as soon as I went up on stage to luckily Mandy saying, Melissa, don't dance whenever I said, I think I'm going to dance on my way up there. And luckily I listened (laughs) to her because I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I had done that. But it turned out really well. It ended up being really fun. We knew it would be fun with them, but, you know, we've never done that. We had no idea how a live show would go. Like there's live reactions. So if you say something that's not funny, no one's going to laugh. So that was a lot of pressure, but it was really great. And we got to meet so many great people. People came from like Nashville, um, different parts of Alabama. It was really so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. So go check that out if you want. It was a really crazy story, a really crazy case too. So yeah, go check that out. And I guess we are moving on to last thing before we go. It is the first of the month. So we are going to do our hero segment, Melissa. Who do we have this month that is our hero? Oh my goodness. So I saw this email and I immediately cried my eyes out and wrote the lady immediately because this is just, it's such a good email in general, but it's such a great story. So I think you guys will really like it. It's a little bit longer, so just bear with me as I try and read this. So here it goes. The hero of my life started out as a stranger, but saved my son's life. So go ahead and get your tissues, by the way, because you probably will cry. Sometimes I think about everything we went through and what she did and my stomach drops, but in a good way. My son was born on September 3rd, 2018, a beautiful, healthy boy, and after a very long, difficult pregnancy, my husband and I thought, yes, we made it. However, our joy was short-lived. At only six weeks old, Cole looked a little yellow, and by the next day, he was diagnosed with a fatal liver liver disease. 
The next day, we flew from Boise to Seattle, five days after he had a major surgery on my daughter's birthday, trying to really push this mama's heart to the brink. The surgery could have given him more time, but it failed. The only way to prevent his death would be a liver transplant. We immediately knew that my husband, my brother, and I would all try to be a donor. Quickly, it became clear that not one of us were a great option. They were all really totally unexpected ways, and they all had these red flags or their blood types didn't match. In comes my hero, Sarah. I received the bad news about my test about two minutes before I walked into one of my son's doctor's appointments. I was a mess. Sarah was the nurse meeting us for the first time. She gave me a hug and checked us in, letting me try to calm down. At the end of our appointment, our doctor popped back in. Would I want to talk to a nurse about being a liver donor? Um, yes, that's unbelievable, but okay. I was in shock. She came in with a little blue post-it note with her name and number and simply asked me to consider her. This post-it note still lives in my diaper bag and eventually I'll frame it. Sorry, like I said, this is long, but it's so good. Now, yes, you can give a portion of your liver and yes, it actually grows back, but it's pretty major surgery and for a stranger. She's an awesome lady married to an awesome man. She essentially came home and said, hey, honey, how was your day at work? He asked. She replies, well, pretty good. I actually offered to donate part of my liver to save a five-month-old baby's life. And he replies, awesome. If you're not crying at this point, I really I mean, need I you. Am. <laughs> I need you to evaluate some things in your life. I just love that that's like he had to know that about her, that she's just, you know, that kind of person. Like, okay, great. That's, yeah, absolutely do that. So as the weeks passed, she remained steadfast. We started to get to know each other, and wow, was I impressed. After a lot of testing, imaging, blood work, she was approved. So on April, I should have said that more excited. She was approved. So on April 2nd, 2019, both Cole and Sarah headed into surgery, their surgeries. Combined, they took about 24 hours. But at the end, a piece of Sarah saved my son's life. Transplant is a tricky journey. From there, Cole took a bit of a rough road, and we spent some really scary weeks with complications. But he made it. A side effect of end-stage liver disease is yellow skin or tan, as some people would comment. But only days after receiving his new liver, he finally opened his eyes for a moment, and we got to see the white of his eyes for the first time since he was four weeks old. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to lose it. Cole is now five months post-op, and although he is closely monitored, aka I am always borderline freaking out, he is thriving. He went from the 2 percentile in weight to the 25th. No more feeding tubes and way less meds. But mostly we aren't, we aren't afraid we could lose our baby any day. A stranger saved my son's life. My hero, Jessica Carter, Cole and Everly's mom. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh. <laughs> oh, that is the most amazing story. Sarah is such a hero. That is incredible. And oh, thank you so much for sharing that. But I have like, I don't know. I've cried. I have reread that like 15 times. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. It's That's an amazing story. I, yeah, she is absolutely a hero to everyone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, I love that story so much. So Sarah, we're going to send you a gift card. That's like nothing for giving somebody a liver, but thank you so much. And thank you so much, Jessica, for sharing this story. And uh, anyway, do something nice for somebody today. That's like all I can think, like just do something kind for somebody else. Okay, Mandy. So that is our last thing before we go this week. And what a good one, honestly. That's just an amazing story. So thank you for sticking through that story and listening, and hopefully you'll want to do something nice for somebody else in your own little way. We can all be our own little heroes, but Sarah is like the champion of heroes today. Absolutely. We will be back next week with a new story. Same time, same place, same everything, but a different story. So we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. 
You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.